Okay. WineCellarMedia.com. It is 1.49 p.m., which means, obviously, I have, like, zero time. I needed to cook the food, eat some food, and then store some food in little containers so that I could take them to work for lunch. And then at coming down here, it's like, holy shit, let me look at some news. I did do something a little different. Folks may have noticed I posted just straight news to Patreon and not podcast or video. Because even if I don't have time to um, make something and chop and edit and move shit around here and there, I was like, fuck, I still want to get this stuff up. So still got those things posted. And I want to take another one a little further because I saw another headline. And there we go, video coming along with that audio. And Phoenix Kalita, you are there? Yes, I am here and right up on the mic, as you said. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yes. Um, have you seen headlines about this new stimulatic bill? Oh, a new stimulus package? They might get... I, I made the headline for WineCellarMedia.com. They might give our broke asses another 1200 I mean, okay. They've been arguing about that for, like, weeks and weeks and haven't come to any consensus, I thought. Oh. No consensus, you say? That's what I had heard. Well, let's go to Investors.com slash Market Trend and see if there's any consensus anywhere else. <laughs> Dow Jones futures rise on fresh stimulus hopes for stock market rally. Hmm. Uh, this article's up by Ed Carson, and it went up today at uh, 8.22 a.m. It is October 1st. We paid that rent, nigga. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you that this shit came. Nigga, Patreon hits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Put some of the rent. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gotta pay those cat fees. Whew. Yeah. Uh, Dow Jones uh, futures rose solidly early Thursday, along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures. I don't know all this language. Futures sounds like it's something moving forward. Yeah, stock market shit. Yeah. And so I'm thinking future, if they're like, hmm, it's going to be some money in them po niggas pockets and po people need stuff immediately. So they is going to spend and we is going to make Oh, that's probably part of it, I'm sure. It seems like uh, words like trajectory and linear time come into play. Ah. Okay, bunch of vernacular I don't get, right? It says data dog stock, sell point technology. Oh, these must just be like uh, like businesses in there. Mm-hmm. Or micro banks or whatever the fuck they are. Fucking hucksters. <laughs> Oh, Amazon.com is one of them listed here. Microsoft, Apple is listed, Tesla. Um, they had another quietly constructive day with the Q3 delivery, uh, quarter three delivery. I think that's what that Q is for. Yes. And those figures are due soon. Shares rose early Thursday as the electric car maker confirmed big China price cuts. Oh, okay. China. Mm-hmm. And the S&P, I don't know who them niggas is. Stock market. S&P is stock market? Yeah. What's the P? Isn't it standard and poor? No shit. I think that's what it actually stands for, yeah. All right. Um, They, they moved um its 50-day moving average joined by the NASDAQ and the Dow Jones Industrial yeah. Average. Those are all, yeah, those are all, um. what do you call them? 
Like indexes? Indexes. Like, because, like, different companies are on, like, different ones. So, like, na- it's the, <laughs> yeah, the dubious decimal system. Like- <laughs> yeah, now I'm trying to make sure that that's what S&P stands for, but yeah. <laughs> I'd be having Fiend's Cleater way off camera. Yeah. All right. Well, that's okay. Uh, uh, fucking, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with, do. um... I call it a dubious investor, some shit like that. All right. Uh, so stimulus deal progress. President Donald Tridnump has offered support, offered to support a new coronavirus stimulus deal of more than 1.5 trillion. Oh, yes, it is Standard and Poor's 500 index. Standard and Poor 500 index. Yes. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> and. Uh, and the White House chief of staff told this to reporters. Uh, but he didn't give an exact figure. The House Democrats late Wednesday delayed a vote on their $2. trillion relief bill uh, to give more time for talks. On Wednesday morning, Treasury Secretary, Secretary Steven Mnuchin said there was an overall understanding with Democrats on a new coronavirus stimulus package, and he was and he was hopeful about talks. But Mnuchin and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi failed to reach a stimulus deal in a meeting. Later, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of whom everything he does is allowed by the system that you just can't change. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mitch McConnell said Democrats and Republicans are still far apart on terms. Okay, so the niggas that pay Mitch McConnell's bills said, nah, not yet, son. Because Pelosi wants $2.2 trillion in spending and Mitch McConnell's at $1.5 trillion. Oh, God, just do... Pelosi, do what you've been doing for four decades just give up yeah like come do what you actually get paid to do do your real job that you've been doing if i remember right since the reagan administration right how long has pelosi been in the game who knows yeah but uh let's see so the bill proposes an extra six hundred dollars for unemployment benefits would return um the extra extra payments would be retroactive from september 6th through january 31st um, and the nation's unemployment rate has improved, blah, blah, blah. What else comes in this package? Uh, many states are providing an additional $300 in jobless aid. Um, if passed, another $1,200 will be doled out to millions of Americans. That is quite the word choice. Yeah, doled aid. Doled out. It's like, it's like the fucking, um, that show Married with Children, where yeah. Al Bundy just doles it out, which you see that overworked, the overworked billionaires mm-hmm. gotta give all you lazy motherfuckers 20s. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pelosi has uh, first got elected in um, uh, as a Democratic National Committee member from California uh, in 1976. Jesus. So before Reagan. Okay, when a bunch of fucking my favorite rappers were born. All right. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, Pelosi's been losing. I said four decades. Yeah. Is that a whoops and a daisy? Hmm. Wait, yeah, because what? Go back to 2000, that's one decade. 90, that's two decades. 83 decades. Yeah, 74 decades. Yeah. Okay, yeah, never mind. My uh, my shoddy math was right. Good thing I took that golf class and got it signed off as math. That's why it's so easy for me to understand these fucking bills. <clears throat> 
so yeah, maybe the uh, maybe it's gonna go through. Maybe if Wall Street is be liking it, should I, I? And I should post this as a coronavirus update, right? Yeah, but I mean, they're saying Wall Street likes it, but does Wall Street not like the one trillion dollar one? Like, does that not still bail out businesses? I'm sure Wall Street would be fine. Like either way. Oh no, that's not enough. That's not enough. They, they, oh, okay. So that is actually one of the things they're disagreeing on. Democrats want to give people $1,200. Republicans want to give them 500 Oh. So that is actually one of the price differences. All right. Democrats, do, do what you do. Quit being silly. You're not fighters. You don't win. You don't do Democrat things. All right. Your your biggest bill as of recent was the Republican health care bill. What's the big Democrat thing before that? Before what? The health care bill. Is there a big Democrat bill? 96 Telecommunications Act. That was pro-corporate. Yeah. Uh, well, they tried with Obama with the, um, what was that shit? That didn't pass, but I forgot what it was. It was the trade thing. Oh, Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah, that was they tried that one. Okay, that was a, that was a big one. Uh, NAFTA, that was big. Yeah. Like, all your big shit is Republican. Uh, the 94 crime bill, I keep reminding niggas, there's a reason why that uh, video clip that you see where Bernie Sanders is going off on the 94 crime bill was in 1991, because it originally came up under the Herbert Walker administration. Mm-hmm. It's a Republican bill. That's what Democrats do. So quit fronting. Don't because that's the thing. Like they're going to make people wait for what's ultimately going to be a $500 check or less mm-hmm. an extra month so that they can use it to campaign on. So, yeah. Um, but here's the thing. The house is going on recess tomorrow. Oh, that's great. So if they don't figure it out today, they're probably not going to. And how long is recess? Is that in there? Um. Oh, yeah. No, but then the Senate goes on break October 9th. So oh, that's good. Basically. <laughs> okay. So they they can't vote on it until after the election. They can't vote on well, it. Well, ain't that so they can basically, so now they can run back to their fucking constituents and do their fucking disingenuous town halls and be like, you gotta vote for me so that you get the stimmered list. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, and, and there's like speculation that Democrats are trying to stall it until after the election as well. <sighs> Y'all niggas is weak. Yeah, but your but your job is to be weak. So I say, why quit fronting like that's not your job, yeah. Mama Bear? Yeah, but if you actually admitted that, then people would have to stop like pretending otherwise. Because people on fucking on social media love her. Like you don't understand. She's playing 4D chess right now. Like you don't under. It's the same way people. I mean, in general, like support, uh, like bootleggers support fucking billionaires. Like. No, you don't understand. Like Jay Z has a plan for us. He's gonna save us. Him and he, him and Diddy. They have. You just don't understand because you're not at the chess table with them because you don't make that kind of money. You don't know what moves they're doing. Wait, like, but you also don't make that kind of money. So how do you know? Because they said that they are gonna help us. All right, the Republicans said they're gonna help us. How come that's not true when they say it? The the thing is, is Nancy Pelosi is playing 4D chess, and you don't understand because what's 4D chess? It's not a fucking thing. It's what the fuck it is. Um, 
oh, it's not a thing. Um, but yeah, no, they, they, people are really like stuck on this. Like, no, we have to keep voting for her because she's going to like pull. Because I mean, look at the way fucking Democrats have been, right? Since Trump has been in office, it was the fucking, um, who was it? Uh, oh, what the fuck was that guy's name? Who was going to be the hero with the, who was doing the investigations? Mueller. Yeah. Right? Mueller was going to fucking save us, right? And then it was, uh, we're going to impeach him and somehow his impeachment is going to get him out of office somehow, some way. Yeah. Right? And then it was, uh, oh, we're going to examine his uh, ties to Putin and Russia and that's going to do a thing. And But, you know, she has a plan every time. And right now this is like another step of her plan because mm-hmm. he's, you know, oh my God, it sounds so much like Alex Jones now that I'm saying it out loud. Because uh, how Alex Jones is like, oh, they tried to do this to the president, but he subverted it. And they tried to do this, but, you know, the globalists did this, but the people fought back. It's the exact same shit on the opposite side of the coin for the most part. Like, yeah. They're just like, well, yeah, it was supposed to be the impeachment. And yeah, it was supposed to be Mueller. And yeah, it was supposed to be their support about Putin. And yeah, it was supposed to be. But, you know, it's still going to happen. It's just going to happen differently. And we need to trust her because she knows what she's doing. And in closing, so... They might give our broke asses uh, five hundred dollars, maybe, <laughs> and um, and Russia is how Democrats say globalist. <laughs> WineCellarMedia.com, Patreon.com/slash WineCellarMedia Fund. Uh, thank you to the homie Loco. Just hit up. I saw the notification while I was like, man, I need to eat some food oh, from yeah. uh, from Tad. What up, Tad Loco? Up in the joint, uh, uh, hitting up the. Uh, the uh, paypal.me slash phoenix and william and of course phoenix Kaliter has the cash application dollar sign phoenix Kaliter. yes there's that gosh darn venmo mm-hmm. which is um at wine cellar media i most i mostly use that um in the uh in the grocery store typically a grocery store venmo. card yeah yeah venmo well i mean i eat that's pretty much what most cards are doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right yeah and thank you for the muckers. And of course, it is the first of the month. The Wine Cellar Media Fund uh, resets itself at the beginning of the month because we haven't hit a point of surplus yet. <laughs> All right. And thank you for holding it the fuck down. Peace. <laughs> no, right. Gotta rush out the door. These are transgender Marxists, transgender black Marxists, who are seeking the overthrow of the United States and the dissolution of the traditional family. And it looks like Facebook Live. Well, there, Facebook Live is live. All right, and podcast audio is up and or active. Uh, Punk-ass book jockeys. Gonna try to do about 40 to 45 minutes of this one and head out to the old Factorino so that I can uh, make sure that the world has plenty of uh, Nature Valley bars. <laughs> All right. Yes. Thanks, capitalism. Why are you hating? And we've run like 500,000 of them joints in a shift. That's a lot. Yeah. And that's one shift, right? You move on mm-hmm. to the next shift. That's another one, like, basically, like, over a million and a half in a day. That's a lot. But I, if that's important, it's capitalism provides. All right, folks, is anyone <laughs> out there, like, do you appreciate that we saved you from a Nature Valley bar shortage? Protein bars, we also make those. Capitalism provides if you can afford it. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone tuned into this program 
is biting into a delicious <laughs> and yet savory and fucking nutritious. This Nature is not Valley a good bar. sales pitch at all. This does not make me want whatever the fuck you're selling. In a workroom where we don't have to wear smocks. Ugh. Oh yeah. And the, and and folks, it, th- th- there is no whistle blowing here. These places pass inspections like this. Yeah. And this particular factory, I was looking at the list of um, seniority uh, members or employees. And the one longest on my shift, second shift, is 1993. Mm-hmm. I didn't even look at first or third shift yet. Well. Like, so they've passed the health inspection. I mean, yeah. And folks, the reason why you want to wear a smock in a place like this is because you're working with food products before they go in the plastic packaging that you actually purchase off the shelf. And we wear smocks because... Any little particle of anything could be on your clothing, mm-hmm. right? So you don't you don't want that stuff getting into the food. Like any tiny little lint ball or anything, pet hair is a bit, and that's not just um, any factory I've worked at. That's an industry industry wide. The main complaint is pet hair. Yeah, industry wide. I could see that though. Because pet hair gets on everything, everything, and stays. Yeah, it's so clingy. Yeah, like there are certain work shirts that I've just retired because no matter when I run them through the washer and dryer, mm-hmm. they still come out with little bitsy boos. Yep, and that's probably from other clothes. And so it's just yeah, as a household with three cats, yeah, some shirts cannot be work shirts anymore. <laughs> right. But we wear a smock over mm-hmm. that, or a frock, if you will, mm-hmm. and that eliminates that. And also the smocks are snap up. So like, say you have an old shirt and you don't know that your button's loose and about to fall off, it won't fall in the product. Right. You know, like, um, shit, just on the shift yesterday, I was um, watching the bars come down to make sure that I had good bars going into the machine system so it won't get clogged up. And I caught a piece of plastic in one of them. And the piece of plastic came from when we get the bulk amount that we dump mm-hmm. in for processing, okay. that plastic is around them. And that tiny little piece of plastic ripped off. Oh. And because it's plastic and not rubber, our rubber gloves mm. are specially made to hit metal detectors. Okay. So that piece of plastic went through the metal detector. Ooh. Yeah, I just happened to catch it. But you really make me not want to eat anything that came out of a factory. The Wine Cellar Media needs to be a multi-million dollar organization so that we can build comrade housing. Honestly, and yes. our class comrades... I'm, I'm, I'm getting real class first. <laughs> um, yeah, our c- class comrades. Let's fucking live in comrade landia, where the, wherever the fuck we make I it. I think, honestly, it would be so expensive to do, but if we, like, a bunch of comrades just took over, like, um, like a townhouse, like, development, you know? Yeah. Like, because a lot of townhouses, there's a bunch of residences in them, but if we just own, like, the whole thing, it was, like, comrades only. Yeah. Because then that also means, like, anybody who has kids, your kids are all going to go to the same school district, right? If your kids are in sports, your kids are all going to be on the same team. You know, if you, you know, go to any sort of place of worship, you're going to be going there with your comrade. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's literally com- literally community building. Like, I think the best we can do is just be near each other. Yeah. But we just, uh, we need your sorrows to come through and, like, help us live up to the stereotype. I wish he would. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, and what? Trumpelstiltskin has the... Uh, he has COVID. 
which was like, yeah, that that was coming. Yeah, well, I'm I'm still clinging to my conspiracy theory. What up? Oh, that um, he's got it, but he's probably going to survive it because he has good medical care. And then he's going to use that as proof that it's not a big deal. And all his followers are going to be like, see, he is God's chosen one. And like, just double down on the fascism. Oh, he's going to be Don Pock. He's going to come back. I'm the realest nigga. He's going to he's going to drop his hit him up. Yeah, pretty much. First off, fuck your voters and your weak campaign. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, Red it's, it's going to be we ride and be a we mess. Blast on tanks and then all the, like, liberals are losing their minds where they're like, oh, a, you know, he's a bad person, but, you know, we don't want him to die from COVID. So, you know, blah. and it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, y'all spent the last four years talking about we're going to march against him. They were saying they were going to go in the streets um, if they replaced uh, RBG's SCOTUS seat, fucking hashtag resistance, fucking pussy hat marches, fucking, um, you know, we're getting active in politics because this guy's got to go. And now y'all like, oh, I hope he doesn't die from COVID. That would be sad. Cock but- your pumps when you see the Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Fools get slumped when you see the Trump. No, caught no, the COVID, but the virus didn't finish. <laughs> don't don't give him ideas. Now you're about to feel the wrath of a menace, nigga. I'm still the Trump. <laughs> oh God, no, 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 oh, no. Yeah, he, no. If he survived. Oh no. Yeah, it's it's bad. But of course, I mean, liberals also rehab George W. Bush. So what you know? What'd you expect? All you need is ew. I hate the way this sentence is gonna sound, but all you need is Michelle Obama's candy. Uh, yeah, actually, it yeah. really is. If you yeah. get yassed by the queen, then you're in. Because <laughs> uh, somebody was pointing out, like, Rachel Maddow, like, literally called him a Kremlin mole and said he was working for Putin. Yeah, like, like literally said he's like a fucking, like, Kremlin agent. And then like, put out this, like, you know, regardless, we don't want anybody to die. We need to get COVID under control now. And my thoughts and prayers are with... And it's like, nigga... Is he a fucking spy trying to ruin the country or is he someone you feel bad for because you don't really care at the end of the day because you're more aligned because of class status more so than anything? <laughs> like, you'll be fine. Yes. But yeah. Right. That's going on. And um, and just for funsies over at um, Chelsea Springler shit. That's the uh, talk fury where we talk furiously. Mm-hmm. Where the hell is that? They have a uh, <laughs> there's a post. Uh, someone saying, how's everyone enjoying the season finale of the United States? And um, I'm just saying that um, I like that they pulled in writers from the first season of Daria to help out. <laughs> and I think casting Lisa Kudrow to play Kamala Devi was brilliant. Mm. And I still wish Philip Seymour Hoffman could have played Trump. But oh. Kathy Bates is totally killing it as Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy Bates is doing a good Williamson. I buy it. All right. And with that, we should get to our book club. And uh, Venus Kaliter is going to break down what the fuck Thomas Frank is talking about. I'm sure they'll mention the gold standard again. Oh, of course. Yes. All right. Oops. Skip to flip to dibidoo. Tory expression. Everywhere you looked, Roosevelt said as he surveyed the nation and the world, popular opinion is at war with a power-seeking minority. This minority, which he defined as the nation's financial and industrial groups, was numerically small, but had been politically dominant during the 1920s. The coming of the New Deal, however, had forged a new relationship between government and people. It had dislodged these tycoons from power and made government the representative 
and the trustee of the public interest. Now the war between the tycoons and the New Deal was on in earnest. Roosevelt had found it necessary, he said, to drive some people from power and strictly to regulate others. In so doing, quote, we have earned the hatred of entrenched greed. Simply put, what FDR called our resplendent autocracy wanted their power back. They longed for an order in which the winnings again went to the ruthless and the strong. But they faced a federal government, a people's government, Roosevelt called it, whose power matched their own. And so, he charged, they aimed to conquer it and turn its powers to their own advantage. Give them their way, the president warned, and they will take the course of every autocracy of the past, power for themselves, enslavement for the public. To repeat, these are lines that appeared in an American president's State of the Union speech, a speech of the greatest importance that was broadcast nationwide at prime time in an election year. The words shock the modern-day reader not because they weren't true, but because they are so starkly at odds with our modern-day conception of the office. The president, we think, or rather we thought until recently, is supposed to be a conciliator, a builder of confidence, a seeker of consensus. He or she is expected to avoid class conflict. So outrageous are Roosevelt's phrases that we can scarcely conceive he uttered them. The age of Roosevelt was also the age of the mass movement. Huey Long, the senator from Louisiana, had his Share Our Wealth Societies. The author Upton Sinclair had his End Poverty in California movement, which revived the old populist idea of the cooperative commonwealth. Farmers in the Midwest signed up for the Farmers Union, in Iowa for the Farm Holiday Association, in Wisconsin for the State Progressive Party, and in Minnesota for the Farmer Labor Party. This last group, the apostolic successor of the old People's Party, according to one historian, elected the aforementioned Floyd Olson, governor of Minnesota, in 1930. Minnesota was the scene of spectacular agrarian protests and industrial strikes in those years, and as farmers and workers went through the tribulation of the Depression, Olson took extraordinary steps to alleviate their plight spending on relief, proposing state-level versions of Social Security and health insurance, suggesting that government take over and run idle factories along with utilities and railroads, and in 1934, declaring a moratorium on foreclosures. Olson had once been a member of the radical IWW union, and traces of its teachings persisted in his days as chief executive of the state. We are in a fight, Olson said in a 1934 speech. It is the people's fight. Let us not betray them. Let us answer predatory, entrenched wealth as Maine answered, as California answered, and as the whole nation answered when it elected Roosevelt. The most dynamic mass movement of the era was organized labor. As in the Depression of the 1890s, workers were growing militant again, and they were coming together in enormous numbers. Over the objections of the traditional craft unions, and in the teeth of the country's biggest employers, an outfit called the Congress of Industrial Organizations set about enlisting the country's millions of unskilled workers. It is not a coincidence that the nucleus of the CIO, 
the United Mine Workers, was one of the unions that had aligned with the People's Party back in the 1890s. This time around, though, their efforts succeeded as the CIO's dramatic organizing drive swept the country's steel and automaking industries. Led in many departments by immigrants, the CIO organized African Americans as well as whites, and for about 10 years it seemed unstoppable, the volcanic power that was rewriting America's social contract. The CIO was the emblematic social force of the period. Populist proletarian solidarity was its characteristic aspiration, and the sit-down strike was its great symbol. Whatever else you may think of labor unions, their advance represented a gigantic step forward for popular self-determination. The growth of the CIO opened a vast new territory, the industrial workplace, to democratic participation. Suddenly, millions of workers got a say on the conditions of their employment, a development that would, in turn, bring about enormous changes in this country making possible the middle-class society of the post-World War II years. Thus began a flowering of populist culture that we would recall as spectacular, were it not so familiar. During the period from 1935 until the end of World War II, writes the cultural historian Warren Sussman, there was one phrase, one sentiment, one special call on the emotions that appeared everywhere in America's popular language. The people. Entertainment as well as politics became saturated with reverence for the common man, for the average American, for the authentic democratic community. In art and literature, 30s populism took the form of social realism, a genre populated with heroic workers, salt-of-the-earth farmers, and ostentatious multiculturalism. Experimental or abstract techniques were suddenly out of style, replaced by the famous documentary impulse a determination to represent unflinchingly the actual lives of the stricken and the lowly. Okay. So they said, nigga, stop just being entertaining and start being real. <laughs> sure, if that's how you want to put it. I think that, because it, 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 my, my first thought, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, we're probably reaching a stop point here. And and it was it flowed smoothly, mm -hmm. but I was like, huh, where it was like, okay, we got this new um, art form, we have a potential chance to start what I think could be a renaissance, and uh, I don't think we're gonna do a whole bunch more of this a hip hip a hippie to the hippie to the no, we're gonna do six in the moan and police at my dough. Yes. We're going to go fuck the police coming straight from the underground. Yes. A young nigga got it bad because I'm brown. Let's just start saying the real shit and then see Dolores Tucker. And oh, <laughs> now hold on there, young Negroes. That's not how we did it in the old days. Mm -hmm. We just got our ass beat. We didn't talk about beating back. All right. We're not like Malcolm X and his muslins. Not like a... Uh... Who's the one who just died? Uh, fucking John Lewis. Yeah. I told them thank you for beating the shit out of me. Okay. I told that officer thank you. <laughs> oh, no. Couldn't be me. Um, yeah, no, but I think that what's interesting is um, how he was mentioning art was, you know, uh, sort of reflecting what was going on. Because this was the 30s, what? So this is um, Great Depression era, right? Because the stock market crashed in 29. 
So this is Great Depression. Um, and then these books that were coming out, this was like uh, Grapes of Wrath, right? I think a lot of people had to read that one in high school. But it was about a family, a poor family from Oklahoma that was, you know, migrating, trying to <laughs> succeed and make it across America. Um, what, like The Jungle, I think, was like the 19-teens, the teens, I think, came out. And The Jungle was what? It was about an immigrant family from Eastern Europe who came and started working in a meatpacking plant. And the whole family just, like, essentially fell apart by the end because capitalism was, you know, <laughs> capitalism. Right. Shit like that. And it also talked about like the unsanitary work conditions and how, uh, you know, you had to sleep with your boss. There were no safety precautions. If you got sick and missed work, they would just fire you. You know, so all this push for, you know, labor unions and workers rights. But what's most interesting is he's talking about the shit as it's happening in the 30s through World War Two, which means that the boomers. Right. Because the boomers started, what, like 46 and the war ended in 45. So if all this shit is going on in the 1930s and 40s, of all this populism and giving workers rights and really talking about, you know, the people having power. So everyone who laid that groundwork, if they were having kids, their kids were the boomers. So the boomers got the benefit of the populist labor. And now the boomers are like, fucking entitled millennials, stop whining. And it's like, not only did boomers get a good economy, that post-war economy, they had the workers' rights, they had the effect of populism in a more direct democracy because of the work that was done a decade or two before they were born. And then it's like, you got the people that didn't join the union that benefited. Yeah. Right? The guy who is racist benefits, the guy who isn't racist benefits. Yeah. So it's like the person who doesn't contribute benefits and then, but they also, they're like, Look at all this bootstrap pulling I did. Yeah. It's all me. Yeah. I just worked harder than you. But then it's like, really? And this was up to what? About the 70s? 80s? And didn't production dramatically increase as you headed towards retirement? Yes. And then so you retired, production increases. And now like on a machine, on a typical day, I'm a machine operator, right? I'm a factory worker. So... I should have it like these these boomers. It's a little bit more funny when you say it in that uniform. Oh shit, we're not on video. Oh okay. <laughs> the um, a running four hundred and twenty five NutraGrain or Nature Valley, whatever brand it is, these bars a minute. Yeah, four hundred and twenty five. Mm-hmm. Right, and the um, the human body did not improve. The machines have been able to be programmed to go faster. Yeah. And they've been able to make new robot machines that can pick the bars up and put them in the box. But now the person at the end of the line stacking the boxes for the forklift driver, their human body just has to move ridiculously faster now. Mm-hmm. But y'all call this person lazy. Right. It's like, how not fast did boomers have to move in factories? Not fast at all. I can't even imagine them going fast, honestly. Like this is no diss, but I think about Bernie Sanders said his first job was uh, his first union job. I think he said mm-hmm. was unloading soda pops off a truck. Yeah, how not fast did he probably have to get that shit done? Yeah, and I mean also I wonder too if this was before the whole like um, customer service culture that we have now. Hmm, break it down. Well, just like you know how people. It's, at least the impression I get from all these like fucking nostalgia videos and, you know, talking to older folks was that it was just a simpler time and life moved slower. And now it's like, if you're making me wait more than three minutes for a latte, I'm calling corporate. 
Mm. <laughs> Where it's like there's just like the pressure to move faster. Like, oh, you're out of the one thing I want, then I'm calling corporate. I'm calling your manager. I'm going to make an angry Facebook live about it and try to get you fired, you fucking peasant type of attitude. And so it's like, you know, just in general, like workers can't move slower like they have to keep moving faster because that's a very prevalent part of the culture these days i think and i I think that's yeah it's fucking terrible but yeah i I would just wonder if like between that between having um you know increased speeds due to machines having you know also like more fucking economic desperation just in general who fuck was it who said that uh economic desperation was good was that alan greenspan oh fuck i I think think so yeah, I think it was Greenspan who was like, no, keep the workers desperate. That way they won't fight for rights because they're too busy trying, you know, not to starve to death or not be homeless. And, you know, just all these things, I think, have just, you know, plus the once in a lifetime, even though it happens repeatedly in our lifetime, <laughs> recessions as millennials. Like, all the shit just keeps dumping on us. And these boomers are like, oh, well, you're just lazy or you're not working hard enough. Or you're making bad choices. And it's like, you literally came up in an era um, where you were born where your parents, uh, you know, assuming you were born in the late... 40s your parents got to work under populist policies and fdr's fucking new deal and shit like that like trying to rebuild the economy trying to build a robust workforce we didn't get none of that shit we can't even get a fucking federal minimum wage increase and there's again you know what is it not a single place no single county in the entire country you can rent a two-bedroom apartment on a full-time minimum wage salary yep but you know we're lazy it's cool it's fine full time and then really when you move and then but then there's also like the quality of life part but Mm -hmm. then i guess that one that gets ideological right like that's what moral relativism because i'm like squalor shouldn't even exist yeah it shouldn't like poverty shouldn't even like the fact that there is a shitty apartment there just shouldn't be a shitty apartment go Mm -hmm. in keep, keep the same building but gut out how you did it and make them unshitty. Yeah. De-shittify the apartment. I think that's the thing, too, I see with boomers is they're always arguing, like, minimum wage isn't supposed to be a living wage. Yes, the fuck it is. That's literally why it was created, was to be a living wage. Because the idea was nobody who's working full-time should be living in squalor. So, yes, actually. Um, But also, I think a lot of boomers, you know, I don't know why we're so, I don't know why I went so hard with boomers versus millennials with this. My bad. But, um... When it comes to boomers as well, I think a lot of the quality of life shit to them is very different because they're thinking like, oh, well, you know, when I was a kid back in, you know, the 50s, like we didn't have a TV and now these millennials have like four TVs. And it's like, yeah, but we also don't have health care. <laughs> like, if you were to ask yeah. people, if you were to trade all of your TVs for affordable health care for the rest of your life, would you trade your fucking TVs? Yes, yes, I would trade my TVs. I would trade my Xbox. Yeah. I will never uh, get an upgrade. I will only upgrade my phone once, my cell phone once every 10 years. Just give me fucking healthcare. Give me living wages. But then also, like, you didn't have the TV, but you had the best fucking radio in town. Yeah. You had the, the Panasonic of your day or whatever the fucking brand was. Kingsford Cole anti-Negro fuck the Irish radio or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, Phoenix leader has to go to the bathroom. All right. But you you had that fucking, there's a, there's a bathroom here. Um. Nope. Nope. It's, it's real deal. She says she's not using the fucking office bathroom. <laughs> the um, right. You had the fucking the fly thing, and then and then also like a TV these days because of mass production, they can't even pretend pretend that there's like some um some false uh, uh like s- insecurity of the supply. So like 
what the TV we put in the child's bedroom like the brand is element it's a flat screen and it was like 30 fucking bucks you know yeah so again that's fucking relative like you had the cool thing or you had a grandfather clock in the house right you had some dope shit you had a nice wristwatch right the car out there in your driveway was whatever the Cadillac or something or the El Dorado whatever the dope car was so yeah miss me with that bullshit fucking well you've got this thing and also these things got forced to be necessities right they're like oh well everybody's walking around with a cell phone well how about you leave your cell phone at home and walk around town and tell me where you find a payphone to use. Where the fuck are the payphones? I remember when they were every the fuck where. Like just phone booth like at random like across the street from some mon pop restaurant by a bus stop. And there were payphones by almost every bus stop back in the old days at least in Washington State in Pierce County. You know fucking payphones were every damn where. <coughs> And uh, taking a look at Jan Local when the archive chat space um, said, uh, we boomers uh, still think minimum wage is for summer jobs, not your third job to buy food. <laughs> right? That's the ill shit, right? Like we be splitting it up and it's like, and in this household, like we're above minimum wage, but we still be looking at it like, all right, this, because we, we both have to have more than one job here. We're like, all right, this job is specifically for rent. All right, this job, this one right here is going to be fucking gas money <laughs> and um and gr- and groceries. Yeah, like um we have to split that fucking dollar up a lot. Right, I'm going to play some more uh Thomas Frank and Phoenix Cluter will be coming back for the cl- last segment and then I've got to get out to the shift. Always the new style incorporated attacks on elites and aristocracy and bankers. Let me give that a little running head start. I'm going to run that back 30 seconds. Here we are. Form of social realism, a genre populated with heroic workers, salt of the earth farmers, and ostentatious multiculturalism. Experimental or abstract techniques were suddenly out of style, replaced by the famous documentary impulse, a determination to represent unflinchingly the actual lives of the stricken and the lowly. Always the new style incorporated attacks on elites and aristocracy and bankers and rich kids and highbrow dilettantes and pretense of every description. The individual most responsible for the triumph of the documentary style was probably Roy Stryker of the government's Farm Security Administration, or FSA, who sent a platoon of famous photographers out to record the lives of impoverished farmers and thus, quote, introduce America to Americans. Stryker was the son of a Kansas populist and according to a recent study of his work, agrarian populism was the first basic assumption of the distinctive FSA style. Other agencies pursued the same aesthetic goal from different directions. Federal workers transcribed folklore interviewed surviving ex-slaves, and recorded the music of the common man. Federally employed artists painted murals illustrating local legends and the daily work of ordinary people on the walls of public buildings. Unknowns contributed to this work, and great artists did too. Thomas Hart Benton, for example, 
painted a mural that was actually titled A Social History of the State of Missouri in the Capitol Building in Jefferson City. There was a mania for documentary books, photos of ordinary people in their homes and workplaces that were collected and narrated by some renowned prose stylist. James Agee wrote the most enduring of these, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, in cooperation with photographer Walker Evans. But there were many others. The novelist Erskine Caldwell and the photographer Margaret Burke White published You Have Seen Their Faces in 1937, while Richard Wright, fresh from the success of his novel Native Son, published 12 Million Black Voices in 1941 with depictions of African-American life chosen from the populist photographic output of the FSA. Wright described the awful conditions of sharecropping in the South and squalid rentals in the ghettos of the North, but nevertheless ended his essay on a hopeful note of solidarity and even of patriotism. Quote, We black folk, our history and our present being, are a mirror of all the manifold experiences of America, he wrote. What we want, what we represent, what we endure, is what America is. Leaders of organized labor, meanwhile, embraced what used to be called Americanism, a flamboyant identification of their own quest for justice and equality with the national flag, with patriotic tradition, and with the country's political heroes, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Roosevelt. As the historian Gary Gerstel has shown, Americanism helped workers' organizations to reverse decades of propaganda casting their members as anarchists, aliens, foreigners, subversives, and so on. Now, and regardless of ethnic background, they were the people, demanding their rightful place under freedom's sun. Here is what this variety of populist rhetoric looked like, drawn in this case from a CIO pamphlet dated 1944 entitled, This is Your America. If you are a worker, earning your living honestly, if you are a farmer, a small businessman, or a housewife, if you are against people who think only of themselves and never of other people, if you have faith in America as a good place to live in for the common people, America belongs as much to you as to any other citizen. Through all of the proclamations of the era ran the ubiquitous, inevitable incantation. The people. Whatever was truly built, the people built it, wrote Archibald MacLeish in his somber 1939 poem, America Was Promises. Similarly, in the final seconds of the 1940 movie version of The Grapes of Wrath, Ma Jode says, as her luckless family heads off in their old truck for another low-wage agricultural job, we keep a-coming. We're the people that live. They can't wipe us out. They can't lick us. We'll go on forever, Pa, because we're the people. And here are the words with which Franklin Roosevelt closed his successful 1940 campaign for a third presidential term. Always, the heart and the soul of our country will be the heart and soul of the common man, the men and women who have never ceased to believe in democracy, who never have ceased to love their families, their homes, and their country. The common man, Americanism, the people. Even the 1939 New York World's Fair, a lavish corporate spectacle, was officially supposed to be the People's Fair. What did this glut 
of rhetorical populism mean? The obvious goal of some who use these phrases was to depict their left-wing views as extensions of the country's traditions of democracy and patriotism, rather than as subversive or alien as they had always been in the past. For others, populism was a way of calling for social solidarity in the face of economic catastrophe and a world war against fascism. It provided reassurance, a reminder of the old Jeffersonian faith. It lent a sense of overwhelming righteousness to the new ideas of the era. The literary critic Kenneth Burke, in a 1935 speech to a left-wing writers group, explained the decade's populist turn in an unusually forthright way. Movements need myths and symbols in order to bring people together, Burke explained, and the highest symbol for those on the left should be the people rather than the conventional one, the worker. Burke's audience was largely made up of party-line communists, and they did not appreciate his suggestion. But his reasoning rings true. The people was a positive, aspirational symbol, rather than a reminder of oppression and hard times, Burke figured. And besides, it was better attuned to American traditions. Here is Burke's key insight. Quote, We convince a man by reason of the values which we and he hold in common. The alternative, Burke pointed out, is to scold your audience to assume antagonistic modes of thought and expression, and to condemn the unenlightened. What we ought to be doing is not scolding, but persuading, trying to plead with the unconvinced. Kenneth Burke may not have grasped the power of his observation, but he had touched the very core of a basic political dilemma. In politics, we can choose to apply purity tests to the public, or we can work to spread knowledge. We can embrace the people, or we can scold them for not getting it. It is a subject to which we shall return later. Another characteristic dilemma... Ah, I should have paused it there before he started. <laughs> okay, Fiends Kalider in closing. Yeah, um, I'm curious to see if he comes back talking about the Americanism aspect. That's just very interesting to me that he tied that into the World Fair, which he acknowledged was a corporate um, event. Because I'm wondering, like, historically, if this is going to lead to a breakdown of populism the same way we see, like, um, you know, now, right? So we have, like, pride. It was a radical thing. It was for, you know, gay people. It was for trans people. It was for non-gender conforming people. And then all of a sudden now it's like we have to let cops into pride and it's, like, sponsored by Pepsi or whatever, you know? And it's a corporate thing. It's, it's lost its radical roots, and that's what happens when anything gets corporatized. So I'm just curious to see when he's talking about Americanism, because the goal is to make it safe and seem less foreign. But at the same time, when that happens, that's when it gets, um, you know, whitewashed or, you know, the core of it gets eroded. So I'm really curious to see as this goes on if there's like a mention of that or if that's historically, because I don't know a lot about historical populism if that's what actually happened, but it sounds like that's where it's going, right? Or like, um, you know, the push to uh, support the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community is now just like, I support gay marriage. And it's like, well, that's fine if you're like only wanting to get married and not wanting other rights, <laughs> you know? And that type of thing, or even with Black Lives Matter, there's corporations who are trying to, you know, get in on that and fighting for racial justice and really watering down the message with, you know, 
like, oh, we're solving racism with a Pepsi commercial because, or no, it was a Coca-Cola commercial during the Super Bowl a couple years ago. They were like, oh, it has a black person, a gay person, a white person, and a Muslim woman in a hijab. So, you know, we solved racism because we had an inclusive corporate consumeristic commercial. And it's like, that's not how it works. But you know, anytime something is seen as less forward, it also loses a lot of its power um, in that aspect. Like, yeah, we don't want everyone to think we're just like a bunch of, you know, radical left wing anarchists who want to blow stuff up, which is, you know, like how they frame Antifa. But a lot of people are like, actually, no, we do think we deserve living wages. We do think we deserve health care. We do think that nobody should be homeless. You know, you don't have to throw a Molotov cocktail to necessarily think that, even though, you know, there's nothing wrong with Molotov cocktails to push the idea but you know the more and more we focus on like let's make it um tolerable um palatable to mainstream society the more and more the message gets watered down so i think we really need to be careful with that um you know even now as we're talking about like defund police what's everybody saying well no i mean like you know police brutality is a problem but like we should just like retrain them and stuff and it's like leftists are actually like no actually we want to start defunding police and putting that money towards other social services and other resources so people don't have to call police you know and as it tends to go it always gets more and more watered down the more liberals attach on to an idea so i'm just curious if that's kind of like where he's headed with the populism thing and while you were talking i was trying to find the um the latest episode of the fucking Young Turks podcast. Poor K. That I was just uh fucking playing. And um it looks like it's harder to find on the damn internet than it is to just find in the damn podcast application. But they were back on that shit. I forgot what, what you were talking about that made me think of this, but um you know, the um those cops that got shot in um and niggas uh, in, in Compton. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The pigs that got fried in Compton. And that, that was like over a week ago now. And um, and sadly enough, Tariq Nasheed is the outlet I had to go to to hear the brother that was um, in the hospital protesting, um, mm-hmm. saying what he had to say and why they did it and what, and what they represent. Yeah. And the Young Turks are just like, they're not related. They're not a part of Black Lives Matter. And they shouldn't be celebrated. It's also like... See? Yeah, so that that was yeah. a part of what you were talking about. Yeah, we're like once like liberals get a hold of it, and once corporate the corporate world gets a hold of it, they start watering it down because they want to make it look less scary. But then it loses power because it's not the full message. And like, but apply the same shit that they give to everybody else. Fucking Nazis are allowed to march. Yeah. Fucking Nazis in Skokie, right? We've talked about that on the podcast, right? They in the um, seventy nine eighty, they intentionally fought for the right to march in Skokie, a Chicago suburb, because there were so many Holocaust survivors there in full fucking Nazi regalia with swastikas. They won on freedom of speech. You know what? If fucking Nazis can march in Skokie, then fucking black people can show up at a hospital where cops have got shot and protest these fucking pigs. Yeah. Apply the same fucking standards. Like it's not radical somehow because it's about cops or because black people are doing it. Fuck that shit. Yeah, and then and it's almost like completely just throw the context way the fuck out the window. Mm-hmm. The original story of what was going on there was everyone found out that the well, everyone outside of the West Coast and outside of the street life and outside of just the vaguest knowledge of gangster rap, yeah, found out that the Compton sheriffs had a gang, yeah. And that they um, they had a gang tattoo and that some new members were trying to join and someone blew the whistle on it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so 
these are victims of that gang retaliating. Mm-hmm. Like, but, you know, Chank Unger and Anna Kasparian, I'm just an innocent looking white girl, real quote. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. they, they they have to frame it that way, is that these are just wowly Negroes. And, and like, and I remember Anna fucking made a point to say they're not a part of Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter is a controlled 501c3 organization. Yeah. Just like how Me Too was like, ooh, we can't say anything about Tara Reid. It's like mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter can't say anything that is actually constructive about when a cop gets what it deserves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that ties into the whole thing about, like, making it respectable and making, by therefore, you know, makes it lose power, but also just, like... There's this obsession with fucking this both sides are violent or both sides are wrong thing. There's really no concept of like self defense, right? Like, if cops make a gang and they're targeting your community and you oppose them, you're not being violent towards police. You're defending yourself and your fucking community. Like, that's not, that is self defense. That's what that is. That's not fucking violence. But then, of course, you know, in 50 years, they'll look back and be like, oh, look at these brave people, right? The same fucking, and that's the shit that they always do, like, you know, like, oh, well, I would have, you know, hid Jews in my house. I would have fucking had to use my basement for the Underground Railroad. It's like, no, the fuck you wouldn't. You're over here crying about broken windows and people protesting police. You wouldn't have done shit then, just like you're not doing shit now. But, you know, that really, and then, you know, you move on and they're like, oh, I always supported that, right? Like, how many people are now like, oh, I support Black Lives Matter, but didn't have shit to say when Ferguson happened? How many people? Right? Yeah. Are they like, oh, well, I support, uh, you know, I support the women's march, right? But they won't support actual, uh, you know, groups of women who run around fucking up rapists. But, you know, you support women's rights. It's fine. It's good. Hmm. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. And um, we are the punk ass book jockeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, this is how we do book club. It's got it's it's essentially conversation radio with a book. Kind of. It's kind of what's happening. Uh, doing what we can. Uh, I, I, every time I think I've got it figured out with my life on the night shift, I really don't. <laughs> like, I come home and I'm like, all right, I can do all the laundry and the dishes and then I'll fall asleep at a regular time and I'll wake up at 8 a.m. and it'll be normal. It's like, no, mm-hmm. when I wake up at 8 a.m., that's mean I've only slept for five hours. It's not mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. So definitely need to... Um, so far, I see that I have Saturday off. I don't know if I have Sunday off. But uh, I will definitely run my ass back up in fucking Walmart uh, and get some of those dark ass black at the fuck out curtains. Oh, yeah. To, yeah, black that damn sun out. That'll help me uh, rest longer Okay. for an appropriate amount of time. And I won't be a little woozy, boozy, floozy, McGoozy. You are not a floozy. No slut yeah, shaming huh? here. Boozy and floozy are both actual words. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Like I'm actually gunning for non words here. As a podcaster that thinks I mean, you should check is also out. a word. Ah, damn it. <laughs> yeah, huh? Yeah. I got to do better at saying fake words, which seems like it would be easy. Like a, a super fun thing I did uh, back in the old cypher days. Um, I think I was actually still 17 and uh, with a group of hip hop heads and we're all ciphering. And I, and I was like, I started something different, right? And, it, and it's a trip when you hear it because it actually is kind of weird and it actually is kind of hard to do, right? So I stepped up to the mic and I was like, I'm about to kick a whole freestyle and none of it's gonna rhyme. 
It's just gonna be a bunch of words about my face. But it's still gonna flow to the beat. But it doesn't have to rhyme the way you're used to. And that doesn't really seem like hip-hop, does it? But check this shit out, this still fucking flows, right? I guess it does, even though it doesn't rhyme proper. I still grab the microphone and just kick a rap. (laughs) And just literally just kick the whole freestyle, deliberately not rhyming. So basically, you're doing like slam poetry in a sing-song voice. Maybe? I don't know (laughs) if I was real sing-songy then. I was very monotone. I thought the lyrics were nice enough that I didn't have to have um, a personality in my voice. Yeah, my, my old audio is rough to listen to. Like, I actually have my raps from when I was 17. They're hard to listen to because I've got no personality in my voice at all. <laughs> I'm just like, I really thought the rhymes were that nice that that shit wasn't necessary. All right, WineCellarMedia.com. Uh, think who was that? The homie loco hit up the uh, the Vin Mo. Uh, that was Alex Loco. Thank uh, you. Hit up the Vin Mo. Uh, you gosh darn right. Uh, and Phoenix Kalita is going to um get a little bit more comfortable about the footwear there. Yeah, I'm actually gonna go get um like a pair of walking shoes because the place we stay now that has a gym and I want to get on the treadmill and do some walking, try to get a little bit healthier. But I need a pair of shoes in which to do that. Yeah, and she immediately said, give me the Venmo card, fool. <laughs> and, uh, did not say fool. She said fool. She enunciated I the L. Did, wow, that's just rude. Yes, the <laughs> L is in Mike's Hard Lemonade. Wow. Phoenix Kalita's special beverage. <laughs> well, it used to be until I got here. And I, I had one myself because we were in the store and, I, and you were like, oh, you want something? I was like, I don't really want to get nothing, but I am black. And then I reached for Mike's Hard Lemonade and it's literally titled Purple Grape. <laughs> and I was like, let's go ahead and just dive right into just a straight gentrification stereotype. I'm going to get a Mike's and it straight up just tastes like grape soda. I can imagine someone getting inadvertently hammered on that shit <laughs> yeah yeah you oh, can't yeah. really taste the booze all right winesellermedia.com and if you don't like tasting the booze <laughs> we, well, for, well no no if you like tasting the booze <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash media fund if you like to taste the booze uh, uh paypal.me slash phoenix and william if you like to have another cup of booze for your friend uh, Venmo at Wine Cellar Media. If you think that some booze should be available to all comrades, and uh, Phoenix Kaliter has the Cash App dollar sign Phoenix Kaliter. If you think that the comrades should use the booze safely and not operate vehicles or yes. other machinery while yes. boozing, while being woozy boozy, cis male floozies. Fine, I will accept that one. <laughs> All right. All right, be safe, fuckerinos. Let me stop the old Facebook Live there. And you're out of there. And, oh, and last thing from Jan Loco, books are power. Yes. Indeed. You ever hit a Nazi in the head with a bag of them? That sounds like a fun hobby. We should try it. You know what? Or, you know what? Let's go full irony and you take that same bag. And hit a QAnana in the head with them, but they're Amelia Bedelia books. Amelia Bedelia books. Indeedly do, neighbor. All right. Hmm. And there goes Facebook Live, and there goes Podcast Adio.